Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Well, hey there, Emily. How are you today? Michelle, I am doing so much better than the last time we recorded. I, know. I am thrilled to be back in the I studio. Know. Your voice sounds tremendously better. <laughs> much better. It was yes. it was definitely a, a, a challenge. It was a touch and go situation, it wasn't was. it? However, yeah. I, I am going to go ahead and dub this episode the infirmary episode <laughs> because you know you're still recovering from being under the weather. Yes, you, know, you might you might cough some. I have been you know have a little cough. Mm-hmm. It's the air is dry. Dry, you know, so the nose is active, and then our guest also know. has has says that she has not, you know, been feeling so good. So right, our production team is totally wearing hazmat suits right now. <laughs> they are, yeah, and uh, they're bringing in a and uh, Monica's group after we leave, and they're going to wipe wipe it all down, <laughs> get the biohazard out of it. So That's anyway, right. I'm glad I'm glad you're feeling much better. I was worried about you. I know, I know. I it's been in fact some time since I've been able to indulge in lovely beverages, so this makes it even extra exciting for me. Wow. Yeah. You I might know. Get, you I've might been... get a little tipsy off the first I... sip. Woo-hoo. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be fun, ladies. Well, before we get into talking with our guest, um, mm-hmm. Jill Farmer today, what are we going to be drinking okay. with Jill? Hey, I'm very excited to try this wine. Um, Philip, the wine merchant, was eager to share this with us. He said this is a special wine. It's um, It takes three years to age before they ever release it. Um, it is a Rioja. Uh, so this would be a Spanish wine. And it's a Reserva from 2015. Um, it's made by Faustino Rivero. I don't know how to say this. Is it Ulichia? I'm My Spanish is not super great. but <clears throat> I would say that Ulichia. Yeah, we will, as always, make sure to yeah, um, to share the information. This is a highly rated wine. It's, you know, a good uh, 93 points from James Suckling, which... I am an avid follower of him. Um, and ladies, this is in our price point. Oh yeah, how much? It is twelve ninety nine. But yet yeah, it's supposed to taste like, you know, you know, something way higher end. So I'm very excited to try this. I actually have not tasted it yet. Wow. But I did give it a preliminary sniff. So I can give you my sniffing notes and then after I taste it I can share with you. Yeah, are you what concerned I find the, because you've been ill that um that your my palate might be uh, a little compromised? Yeah. We're gonna find out. Okay. Um hopefully, hopefully I mean I can smell really clearly. So okay. you know when I when I sniffed this right out of the gate, I got um some kind of tobacco and vanilla, uh, a little leathery, even a little bit of like this kind of mushroom herbaceous funkiness on the nose. Uh definitely getting some of that dark fruit, the plums, the blackberries, and black currant. Um I'm I'm betting this is going to be nice and silky on on the palate just from that vanilla that I can smell. Yeah. But um, we'll, go we'll t- see. Let's take, we'll a, let's take a little a drum tip. roll here. Yeah. And he's going to mm-hmm. take a sip because I've already had like four sips. <laughs> I thought I was catching up. Mmm. Mmm. Hey. Yeah, that vanilla really comes through on the palate. Um, a lot of the, a lot of what I smell, I can taste. It's a lot smoother and silkier 
then you it know, is not harsh at all. No, it is a smooth. Uh, it's a smooth operator, if you will. Definitely some it's plum a, cherry. It's a suave. It's like a rico suave, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting some kind of like plum blackberry on the palate. Some cherry. Um, it kind of finishes with a, a like a darker cherry. You know, really ripe dark dark cherry kind mm-hmm. of. on the finish but we'll see this is just you know me I like to really think about my tasting notes and I this is just my first little taste so what are your thoughts so um this is not a very to me it's not a complex wine at all you know and I do like to drink wines that tell stories you Mm -hmm. know in your mouth but this this is kind Mm -hmm. of one of these like wow you taste great and I from beginning to end I you know it is I what you see is what you get um, it's, it certainly tastes like a, a more expensive bottle of wine. I think so too. So, you know, this is like, you, I think you get a case of this and keep in your house. Yeah. It's a recommendation to have one of these at home. Then when your friends are over or maybe, you know, acquaintances or something, and you're just not so sure you want to open up the more expensive bottle, you can pull this, this out, out and they will never know. Mm-hmm. Unless they're listeners of Clearly Speaking the Podcast. <laughs> and you need to find that out first. And if they are, well, then don't we bring out this one just yet. Or they'll actually look at you and with like, you're so shrewd and smart because there's, this is a great There's great nothing bottle. wrong with the this. I mean, I would have no problem playing $20 yeah. for this bottle. And if and if they don't listen to the podcast, then you need to get them to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, so Definitely. it's it's up to, up to you listeners. But and mm. if this were a panty, I'm seeing... I'm seeing like a like a cougar print. Ooh, I love that. You know, like a a, a hipster cougar print kind of panty, mm. um, where it's it's not complicated, mm-hmm. but it sends a statement. Yeah, and you're pretty you pretty much know what you're gonna get. That's like where I am on this one. I like it. I'm getting like a little bit of like a milk chocolatey kind of note so on it's the finish a, too. It's a, a cougar. I mean, a leopard. Uh, I like it. Panty while you're eating a Snickers bar. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I I love it. That's everybody's dream, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Jill, what are your thoughts? So Blackberry was right on initially. That was what Mm. I got from... from the the nose and silky I think is the best description so I would have to say if I was going to go with panties it would have to be a little bit in the shinier um, aspect because it, it, it's not really creamy but it has a, mm-hmm. a silkiness to it um, this is the first time I've ever had a, a wine that has there's a there's a heartier but still like chocolate or actually sweet potato was what was coming through oh, for isn't me. That interesting. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say sweet potato. I know because it's not really an appropriate wine description necessarily. <laughs> right. kind of it's like a rhubarb pie <laughs> topped with arugula. Yeah. No, I mean that's uh but I think hearty is a, a definitely a yeah, right way to describe I get, it. It's not I, bold but it's got some depth to it. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. It's almost like I can taste the skins of the grape or mm-hmm. something like that 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 that's giving that the, it's earthy like mm-hmm. you said initially but not in that um it's grounded more than earthy because earthy to me sometimes has a dirt mm-hmm. dirt mm-hmm. you know I, it's like muscly to me mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's the right word that's why i went with like the you know the leopard print because it's okay. like kind of muscly um and and stealth and kind of you know slinks along sort of thing or I might be thinking of a different cat yeah. different big cat I it's don't know it's surprising I don't I can't exactly put my finger on it but it's unique surprising and incredibly uh, pleasant can't yeah, wait to I take think it's the elegant. next sip. yeah yeah 
I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your thank thoughts, you Joey. Thank you for sharing yes. the wine with me. Absolutely. So we're very excited to have our guest here today. We met during a recent um, TEDx event yeah, at the TED Talks. It was the women's event, which was just extraordinary. All of these incredible women sharing their stories and 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 their perspectives that are really, you know, perspectives that can make change happen. Yeah. 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 We just love that. And there's a TEDx Gateway Arch. So That's for, right. for the people who are not in St. Louis, you can um, find them on online. That's but. right. So we have Jill Farmer here with us. And media is definitely, I mean, you're you're this is not a new thing for you. You've had an era of your life where you were uh, an anchor. Yep. On on uh, which channel were you with? I worked at Channel 2, which is KTVI in St. Okay. Louis. Um, I started actually in Des Moines, Iowa as a general oh, assignment goodness. in health reporter working the night beat right out of college and then from there came to St. Louis and uh, worked at Channel 2 as the contact to consumer reporter mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then moved to midday anchor and then eventually uh, weekend morning anchor before Oh my gosh, I you left. spent a lot of long time in the industry then. Yeah, yeah. yeah more than a decade. And now you're <laughs> a, a successful author, um, a coach and you do just a lot of different a lot of different, you have your hands in a lot of different things. Yeah, I left, like I think a lot of uh, women in what would have been considered the height of my career because I was, you know, an Emmy Award winning journalist yeah. mm-hmm. in a business that a lot of times leaves you. You don't necessarily get to leave. Right. And I left because I just didn't see a way out for being the w- mother, citizen of the world, wife that I wanted to be with the pace of work. And I just felt so overwhelmed and stressed out and burned out. And after I left my job and was sure that that was going to be the chess move that was going to deliver mm-hmm. this windfall of finally enough time to be and do the person I wanted to be, it was a, it was a really tough time because I recognized after about six months, I was still waking up every morning with this punch in the gut, too much to do, not enough time to do it, sense of stress and like the hamster wheel was still running, mm-hmm. even though the the work, which I had solely identified as the source of all my stress and overwhelm was no longer there. And so that led me on a long and winding journey. I went back to school and um, because I wanted to understand why I was carrying this stuff around in my brain with me, even when I had drastically changed the outside conditions. I'd like to ask you a question on that. Prior to getting into television, if you think back to your, you know, uh, elementary, high school, college days, were you somebody that overachieved and uh, and piled it on your plate, or were you conditioned to feel this way through your time in the television industry? I think it's a both. I think okay. there was always a sense of okay, once I get out of high school, then I don't have to go to school every day, and then I'll have enough time. And then I get to college, and it's like, oh, this is still stressful and overwhelming. So I was going to go get my first job, and then I would yeah. have nights and weekends off. Haha. <laughs> right. And when I, I yeah. when I entered what I call the Whitewater Rapids in my first TV newsroom, it's like, oh, <laughs> this isn't going to give me a lot more time. And so then it was always, once we get past sweeps, uh, once I get married mm-hmm. and I can share all the household yeah. duties equally, all those those things that were always I was always living in the. Once this happens, then I'm going to be okay and not so stressed out. I'm wondering if you know, just as women, like we're. 
you know, especially, you know, with that whole, okay, we're, we have the work dynamic, we have the family dynamic, all of those things. And we're always, we always feel so much pressure to um, prove ourselves in the workplace, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then, of course, there's the guilt factor, like, mm-hmm. because you were gone, like, okay, now I've, I've got to make sure that everything's happening at home the way it needs to happen. The house is clean. Everything is, is happening there. I'm wondering if, if that's maybe a, a, a condition that just we have as women mm-hmm. that no matter if when we finally leave the job and and okay we're going to have more time to, to pursue things that are meaningful to us and support the family we're still going to have that same kind of pressure on us to overachieve as you mentioned Michelle because that's just our nature we're always having to prove our worth and prove our value and we do that by well, doing. I don't right. know. Is but that... let me jump in here because I think we have felt that we always had to prove our worth and our value be- because we didn't necessarily recognize it ourselves. Mm-hmm. We were waiting well, for totally somebody true. else to say, "Look, you're valuable. Take some time off." Right. You know. Or... Right. Well, and the culture told us the opposite of that, which right. is you're never quite doing enough because what you're doing isn't a value historically. And when you're in the workplace, there's no way you can be doing it. So we got all this. Um, right. this, this this implicit, if not explicit, cultural messaging. And then our brains are wired to, um, we, when we feel like we need to be doing more all the time, we're triggering the fight or flight response, mm-hmm. right? And so we're actually creating situations for ourselves where our polyvagal nervous system is putting us into this fight or flight mode all the time. Mm-hmm. And then we begin to believe, because again, the world tells us this is the truth, right. that the only way to get stuff done is to be in an activated stuff, a stress <sighs> cycle. I just got to get, I got to have right. deadlines. I got to be working harder. And it's never quite enough. <laughs> and then you add on to that the things that you mentioned, which for now are much researched, thank goodness, because we're finally naming it like the mommy workload, mm-hmm. which we know no matter how progressive a couple is, there is not an equal <laughs> division of of workload. We have a better understanding of implicit um, bias and knowing that we just expect more when we feel like somebody is inferior based on their sex or the color of their skin within workplace dynamics. So that creates the di- the need mm-hmm. to feel like you need to overwork in and, order to meet those needs. So all of that blends together. And then even when you do take three or four hours and you sit in the, you know, in the recliner, you can't actually enjoy those oh, three or four hours because you feel guilty. Yeah, right. When I was going through cancer treatment, I laid on the couch, physically unable to work around my house, and feeling guilty because my house is a mess and mm-hmm. I should be up clean, cleaning it, making it nice, you know. But I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Or people would say, "Hey, I'd like to come over and see you." And I'm like, "No, don't," because I would. I feel like I needed to entertain, right? Right. So we don't we don't allow ourselves. A moment or moments, you know, string them together to until we get older, right? Mm-hmm. Until you get to like an older spot, and you're like, "This is this is stupid. This is ridiculous. Why am I doing this to myself? I don't need to." Mm-hmm. And and then when you make that shift in your brain, then other things start shifting in your world, and like mm-hmm. towers start falling down. And then you're like, "I have all this rubble to pick up now." Right? There's a place I think where a lot of people reach their epiphany. I think my daughters have reached it decades ahead of where I did. Um, Is that because you've been able to be I to don't share know. your They're personal both experience? Little wise little beings at twenty. At uh, they've always have been, and mm-hmm. at nineteen and twenty three, they have a, a broader perspective of the world. They're less motivated purely by extrinsic motivators, which I was very. Motivated well, by because that's what I thought. Everybody, it was material. Well, we lived in a material world, right? I mean, and I thought you had to get the grades, and everybody likes me, yeah. and it's all about people mm-hmm. pleasing. I'm, I always say I'm a recovering um, people pleaser, and so that all 
melded together to be, um, you know, I always say it was sort of a rock bottom time for me. It's like, wait, I quit this great job and now I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And it was a great foundation, as J.K. Rowling would say, to begin oh, absolutely. <laughs> the next yeah. phase of life, which was, okay, let me understand how our brains work for us and against us in this. And do we really have to be stressed out all the time in order to produce and create and work? And is stress just a condition? And is um, time shortages really just the, the best condition, um, best catalyst for us to get things done? Right. And... It just blew my world apart once yeah. I started researching it, right? Because okay. that reporter's mind was right. like, I'm the curious, I'm interested. So yeah. Is this what you more? studied in, in co- when you went back to college then? Did you yeah. study like psychology, sociology? Yeah, and- all of the above. And then mm-hmm. I went and got certification and then master certification and was going to kind of coach women on sort of what's next in life and what the people that kept coming to me were physicians and lawyers and people saying, I just don't have enough time Mm -hmm. to live the life that I want to live. And, and so, um, I was doing all this stuff and at the academic women's network at Washington university, which is the gathering of, of, uh, the organization that supports physicians and female physicians and their work there asked me to come speak, um, about the time and stress stuff. I had a couple of clients who were, who were working there and, Everything I'd been doing, I was trying to run some seminars, and, still, and you were staying busy. I was, Just you're still. I, I, but it was pretty much crickets. Like everybody's like, "Yay, Jill, this is great. Look at you and your new job." But I'm too whatever. I don't. I don't know if I'm doing this. And I walked in to give a talk that they thought were there were going to be like 35 people, uh-huh. and I called it. There's not enough time, and other lies we tell ourselves. Surgeons. Um, Staff yeah. assistants. I mean, it was yeah. everybody. Was a message like, that resonated with a oh, lot of people. I think people are hurting around time mm-hmm. and overwhelm. And so then I ended up with a slew of really interesting physician clients and going to speak at places like the American Academy of Cardiology. Yeah. And that gave me really interesting stories about how these ideas of changing your brain, not mm-hmm. just trying to fix your schedule. Okay. <laughs> um, your around time and overwhelm. Right? You're changing your and paradigm. And how these doctors, yeah, and how, and how doctors were putting this into play. And then that uh, made for some really interesting stories that I put together in my book. Yeah. So are, have Which we... Which is also titled... There's not enough time in other lives we tell ourselves. Yeah. And it's been out for about seven years now. They say to be consistent with the message, exactly. you know. <laughs> so have we, um, in in our patterns that we've, you know, adopted... Um, is that then causing a chemical reaction in our brain, which is giving us this anxiety and this feeling that... Yeah, stress yeah. hormones are real. Yeah. And we know even more now in the last two or three years, um, I do a lot of work around burnout mm-hmm. um, because we know now, even the last two years more than we did, um, a lot about um, understanding how adverse childhood effects make people more reactionary to stress mm. and more likely to have a hyper vigilant stress response and we're starting to recognize that that being in an activated state of stress should not be the new normal we are not meant to be mm-hmm. in fight or flight or in freeze mode which is the most and the hugest when you get in such that's trauma right when right. you're freezing right. you're in a trauma situation um that that's that's not how it should be and so yeah. there's a lot more um information about understanding and it goes back to the basics as much as I was like oh not this again I'm supposed to rest and exercise and be (laughs) mindful but that's how we complete the stress response right and that's how we we get stressed out we move through it we don't ignore the stress we've let every feeling have a right to life 
but we don't do everything we do by activating or by taking our actions and making decisions from that right. stressed out mode. Well, you know, then in society, people always like brag about, oh, I, I could do so much. I only need three hours of sleep. Yeah, really. I can do, right. I can do everything. On, oh, you know what? I didn't even sleep the last three days. <laughs> I'm so good. Maybe yeah. we just start changing that. Like, girl, I had nine hours of sleep last night, you know, and like just start bragging right. on the sleep you right, do cause get. Because somebody will tell me like, I just do great when I'm at, when I'm stressed out. I, that's right. Right. I'm at my best. And I just said, well, it's okay. But the brain research says you're losing 13 points of your IQ. So if you have 13 <laughs> IQ points to throw away, God right. bless you. I do not, as a 51-year-old woman, have one brain cell or one <laughs> IQ point, point that I am willing to give away. I think about the number of jobs that I've had where it was a badge of honor to be stressed out. And, yeah. and if you weren't stressed out, you weren't working hard enough. Yep. Some industries are um, clinging more tightly than others uh, in places like advertising. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the there's a, a real, again, there's a lot of, um, uh, this, as you said, a badge of honor mm-hmm. to overwork and outwork everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the companies that, that, started being change makers and saying, oh, we don't turn over. We don't just treat everybody like you're only going to be here for a year. And we're making money and we're innovating better. We come up with better ideas. We execute the ideas We have playtime. We have yoga. We have more vacation. We have all those things. Well, I think our generation was probably like the first, and you know, I'm I'm saying this just because I'm a a Gen X or not because I've done any actual research on it. Um, but in my experience, our, the Gen X generation was the first one to push against those norms of eight to five. You have to, you know, mm-hmm. like I remember coming out of college and, and being like, well, it only took me four hours to do the project. Why can't I go home? Right. And it was like, right. well, no, you have to be here. You right. Know? And it was like my, my, you know, it was sort of like my generation was like, well, we'll work as long as it takes to get it done. Mm-hmm. And if it takes us four days to get it done, then then we'll put in that time. Or if it takes us four hours. Yeah. But but we were working with the boomers and the and the um, the silent generation, which were more like, I need to see your face for eight hours. Mm-hmm. I don't right. care if you're doing anything, mm-hmm. but if I'm going to pay you. I need to see your face for eight hours. Right. And there's such great data out there around. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we, it was the beginning of the influence and, and, and I think, and then as that gathered more momentum through Gen Y and the yeah. millennials were and just millennials like, have it down. you just forget that crap. We I, are not going I, to yeah. work for the I sake of working. I have a friend who, who has went down to Texas, started a, a IT consulting company. And I look at her posts and the life she has created. It's like, she's created a life in, in the six figures. Mm-hmm. Choosing projects she wants to do, she can work them in any location she goes. So if she feels like she needs to be in Colorado and spend time with her brother in Colorado, she can go and do that. And I'm like, what? Wow, what freedom uh-huh. as a as a mid thirties woman she has versus where I would have been in mid thirties. Right, and in doing the research in the, in the work that I do all the time, we hear about the you know the especially in the Scandinavian and Northern European countries, they're working twenty two percent fewer hours and have like six weeks of vacation, six weeks of vacation, and they're still producing more. And I um and you know and that everybody just treated that like that's an anomaly as opposed to like that's a best practice. Yeah. Like why do we? And I remember I was. Um, and, and I know Michelle and I are both bit of scandophiles. Um, and I was visiting uh, an old friend in Sweden a few years ago, and he was a head of school, and he had been in the United States and had come. He'd been back and forth, kind of in places like Holland, and then they'd been in Japan for a while, and 
And I said, how is it here? And he said, about three weeks into my job, the person who reports to directly below me pulled me aside and said, You're, there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of trust in you. And I, you just need to understand that. And he said, why? And they said, because you're working until 630 or 7 at night. He said, well, it's a new job in a new country. I got a lot to learn. Yeah. This is, I think it was actually in Denmark. And he said, they're reading that. In, our, in the culture, that is read as you are inept because you cannot get oh. your job done mm. within the time frame. Wow. So everybody was like, there was just, this is the amount of time we have. We get our job done. Everything gets completed. There were high expectations about stop. You take a break. They call it yeah. in Sweden, fika. they call it fika, yeah. um, which is the coffee break. But it doesn't last for an hour and a half. It doesn't involve like surfing the yeah. internet. It's just get up, get some coffee, have conversation. Ten minutes, you're back at your desk. Yeah. You don't eat at your desk. Mm-hmm. You take yeah. a break, you get up and you move your body. All what we know now are excellent practices, best practices for optimizing your brain power. Mm-hmm. We do better when we code switch our brain. We take regular breaks. We well, recharge let, our batteries. Yeah, let me ask you this. Um, when you started to make that change for yourself, mm-hmm. how did you see it change? How, how, how did your life change? It was like there was, I didn't realize that there was, I had... I'm going to mix metaphors here, sure. but it was like I had blinders on and there was a cloud over my head that I had no idea was there. And all of a sudden it was like the sky lifted and the blinders went off and I could see so much more possibility. My physical energy changed. My faith in humankind expanded because I was no longer, you know, in that fight or flight mode, which means I'm irritated, right? <laughs> ready to to you know, I'm, I'm irritated, like, frustrated a lot of the time. Angry at the drop of a hat, you'll know, exhausted, you know. tense, yeah. unable to really just um, be. I, when right. people would say, "I'm not a human doing; I'm a human being," I was like, "Well, that's great, but I've got a lot of stuff on my to do list." So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but I actually get stuff done. I'm productive. <laughs> have like, I told you how busy I am? Have, yeah. have you seen my appointment? Right, book? I wrote a whole you. chapter in the book about that. How we worship at the altar of busy, and yeah. and busy becomes our worthometer. Um, yes. the more you know the busier we are the more we're worth although I was speaking at a at a conference in Arizona my mom happened to be in the audience and I'm saying this and afterwards she goes honey I think it's actually worthometer and I said mom I made up that word but thank <laughs> yeah. you for going and giving me some feedback on it anyway that's funny <laughs> worth a meter for the that's great that's you great. know Michelle you brought up how um you know in our generation we started wanting to make that shift happen between, uh-huh. you know, the boomer's expectation of, oh, no, you're here eight to five plus, And, you know, we're, we're seeing that transition happen. Now the millennials have come into the workforce and have a completely different set of expectations. And I really, I do admire that. I really love that the millennial generation has, has, um, they care, they, they've entered the workforce with um, the goal of loving their work, mm-hmm. which my gen, like I didn't feel I had that. Um, I I felt like I I had to work. Like it, it wasn't necessarily um, a given that I'd love it. It's work is work, right? right? <laughs> you were so meaning in your work was luxury, yeah. right? Not you were just necessity. going after the money because sure. that's what we that's we that's had. what we've been conditioned right. to do. Now. I do think that Thankfully, there's... we've given up on that, haven't we? <laughs> well, uh, there's a shift happening, thankfully. But, um, you know, we definitely, Michelle, you know, we are pursuing our passions, and yeah. clearly you, Jill, are as well, and, and you're helping others along, like, alongside of it, so it's the most meaningful way. But I, I, do, I do remember early when the millennials had, like, just started entering mm-hmm. the workforce, mm-hmm. so this might have been, like, I don't know what, 
like early 2000s, mm-hmm. something like that. And I remember at one time I was, you know, in an enterprise rental car, you know, when they, they would pick you up, you know, and and this young woman who was getting ready to go off to college, her final year of school, and we were talking about what she was studying. She was studying marketing. I was like, okay, so what are your plans after college? And she was like, well, I can tell you what I'm not going to do. She's like, I'm not going to work past five. I'm not going to work more than 40 hours a week. And I'm not going to work for us less for, than um, for $100,000 a year. And I just kind of I just kind of laughed. I was like, well, go for it. Good luck. But go for it, you know. And that was just absurd to me to think, okay, you're leaving college with a marketing degree and you're expecting no less than six figures and you're expecting not to work like later than right past five you know i think that the world does exist that that can happen but you still have to kind of earn your you have to kind of earn your way a little bit don't you i mean how do you i mean how do you feel about that ladies i i think um what's cool about (laughs) today and and the times we're in is that there's so much technology out there that wasn't there when you and I mm-hmm. graduated college, right? That that if they, they can create, I mean, she might write an app. She might do something that it enables her to make the $100,000, you right. know? There's, but is that going to happen right away? But in I her mean, mind, and, it might, mm-hmm. you know, it might for her in yeah. her mind. I, that stuff but always has triggered me too. Just between because, reality and right. what's, but what's, I think right, right. Our conditioning, though, I would say we come from that good Yankee work ethic, yeah, and where it's like, you know, Protestant work ethic. The harder you work, the then the mm-hmm. more you and you don't deserve it, and you haven't earned it. If you are, she's created an interesting parameter for herself mm-hmm. that I would hope she was cut loose and not supported by somebody else to right. investigate and 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 discover for herself whether she can make that happen and if it needed to be in a marketing career or something else um, yeah. and or whether there was a part of that equation that maybe she needed to get more flexible and loosen up. <laughs> right. Um, right. And, and I think that actually happens. I think the millennials do that. They're, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation with a corporate client today. They're much braver than, for instance, Gen X, than, than Gen Xers and boomers oh, totally. for sure around things like um, housing insecurity. Oh my God, Like, yeah. I live on a couch. I'll live wherever. <laughs> <laughs> I have no like we have still this status thing of like you've made it when you bought your first house. We yeah, were still absolutely in that. And but yet they tend to, as you're looking at succession plans from companies that have 15, 60 year old leaders and they're like these really bright young 30 somethings that I want to be handing off the baton to, sometimes have a responsibility aversion. And so it's fun from a generational perspective to be to think about how do we inspire them to be willing to sort of take over mm-hmm. the helm and then how will they recreate the the experience and the work life experience so that it fits the things that matter to them most like flexibility mm-hmm. over even right. earning um, and, and and then I think if we're passing a baton on we have to be willing to let them create it the way that they need to do it yep. because otherwise just get yourself a, a a babysitter right I want you to do exactly the way I've done in the last 50 years right. that's not going to happen they right. won't be interested in that well and a friend of mine pointed out to me as much as I like the Protestant work ethic of you have to earn it by doing this there's been people through the millennia 
who have been have handed to them. I mean, mm. from you know, yeah. the, from we can talk about Downton Abbey. We were just right. mentioning that earlier. I know. Um, I know. To any form of privilege mm-hmm. where they did not have to do the same due diligence mm-hmm. in order to get there. There was a lot that was handed to them, and they just said, "I want to make this amount of money and golf this much and mm-hmm. be able to belong to this." And that was sort of part and parcel. And we don't get quite as offended by that as we do the bratty little. <laughs> That's true. That's, that's a fair right. point. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's been made to me. It's not something that I'm, you know, trying no, to turn on you. But it's no, a point you're, that, you're, that's a really good point. Like for some reason, we we can we can accept entitled as long as you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's not somebody's harebrained idea, like, yeah. which is it's right. not one of these whippersnappers right. that's come exactly. up with this harebrained idea. Well, and and there's I would think that there's probably like a little twinge if that's the right word it could be tinge it could be twinge today i don't know this is the infirmary episode um of jealousy because oh, they're totally when jealousy. i was 20 absolutely 3, 24 i wasn't making those bold mm-hmm. statements for my life mm-hmm. i was more of a uh i mean i knew kind of the life i wanted to have but i had no idea how i would ever get there so i got a job i got married you mm-hmm. know i had my degrees you know i just followed somebody else's already path I mean, like like they yeah. say the path less traveled world less traveled so there's a bit of a jealousy when when you see um absolutely uh, no i totally a girl you know making that. those statements mm-hmm. um because you know it wasn't handed to you it wasn't that, handed right. to me and um, times were different like i i when i entered the workforce there's no way that i could have right well and let me ask you this cuz you strike me as a, as an incredibly creative person mm-hmm. and so how how um were you made to feel like your um, creativity was one of your superpowers or something that you needed to work around? It was definitely not embraced. Okay. Because like, yeah. I think that's a difference between yeah. a millennial is if they, ha- my daughters have a lot more confidence that their creativity mm-hmm. is going to get them out of a jam. If yeah. it be where I, my story was, I was like, I'm not creative. I couldn't figure that out because it was so devalued. Exactly. Um, that I wouldn't have seen it as, and, and I'm not creative in this sort of artistic pers- way. So then I, mm-hmm. I just crossed that off my attribute list and not understanding that being curious and learning constantly and being able oh, to, yeah. to, 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 yeah, to communicate, to write. That's all creative. creativity. And yeah, we yeah. are all creative people yeah. and we are all, and when we create, it's iterative and that's how we, you know, elevate the world and make it more interesting mm-hmm. and make it richer. And so I think that, that girl's confidence, that young woman's confidence that you bumped into there also mm-hmm. may have been, she had more freedom to own that she could get herself creatively right. into that situation because we wouldn't have valued creativity in the same way as, as a 22 year old. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and it is always something like you, you're you, so many things that you just mentioned, uh, of, uh, a creative personality trait. Like I'm, I am insatiably curious, mm-hmm. you know, and, and love to read and, and yes, I have been creative my entire life, but I, I had to completely ignore that side of my life mm-hmm. for the, the startup of my career, yep. you know? And it wasn't until really 2009 that I realized how tragically far away I was from my, who I really was. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was so, I got really depressed because I wasn't, I wasn't flaming those inner passions mm-hmm. that really drive me. And as soon as I started making changes, like playing the cello again and, and you know, joining a the board of an uh, of a um, an art gallery, and you know, um, then that would then I started 
blossoming, mm-hmm. you know, and finding joy again. But it was a different time, you know, Absolutely. and I'm glad that things have shifted mm-hmm. and that now the world I'm sees glad, there's value in creativity. I'm glad that there's more freedom for people to make their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad so, I'm grateful for technology. You and I here we wouldn't be having this te- we wouldn't have the podcast mm-hmm. if the technology hadn't hadn't moved forward like it is, you know, because it would be somebody else making a decision whether or not we could have a show. Mm-hmm. You know, right. somebody else would make it oh, I don't know. How many how many conversations between girlfriends do we really need to have on, <laughs> on you know? And a white guy would be making that decision and saying, a, right. I would say there's already one of those shows somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That box yeah. is checked. Right. So we, so, we don't you know, really value your women's opinion enough. We need right? guys uh, who talk about their penises in a sophomore <laughs> way on the radio a little bit more. Thanks, We've ladies. got this three-hour block that I think we can fill with the with the dick talk. Yeah, yeah, that's what we want to do. But so we are benefiting from it. Yeah, the, that's true. The the younger the younger generation, the millennials, are benefiting from it. We're all trying to figure out how to live together and work together. Right. You know, and you bring the the experiences and the and the traditions, if you will, mm-hmm. all into the same, you know, culture. Well we're we're a good bridge generation. Because we, we've we seen the development and the value that the millennials are bringing to the workplace. And, you know, we've, we've definitely experienced the boomer world mm-hmm. um, because that's what it was when we entered the workforce. So I think we're a good bridge to, you know, bring those generations together. And mm-hmm. we can speak both languages. Yeah, I think so, too. And I was giving my girls a little bit of business because they, have, you know, like anybody else in that's age, I think, 10 to 25 now says that their parents, hey, boomer, even though everybody's like, I'm not a boomer, I'm a Gen X. But I was like, it's it's a, it's a an ageist or a derogatory term. I just want you to know mm-hmm. your grandma was in, you know, marching in 68, lived through, she was the, born the first year of the baby boom generation. And she saw some stuff. She made some change. She worked full time. It's true. Both your grandmothers are college educated. So, so that dismissiveness of what you're saying is not relevant is really not. I mean, that we had a 50 years ago, we had a massive shift in our universe yeah. mm-hmm. and our world. And so I'm, I'm a little bit, I get, you know, a little bit, um, not just because they're mislabeling me in the wrong generation, <laughs> but right. also just like. I, not know. honoring that generation enough. Yeah. I think yeah. there was some, I th- it isn't just totally irre- irrelevant just because you were, you know, mm-hmm. born well, from 46 to 63. I think there's a lot this, that happened Isn't this then. a classic intergenerational issue regardless if it's that it probably happened you know from the you know the 1920s to the 1940s you know like those kids these days right. and they're and they're right. and Charleston dance boomers you know? may deserve it because they were like old man your, your positions right. are irrelevant so maybe they're getting a little bit of the taste of the right. so what I'm what, what I what like dawned on me uh, was how when I hear okay boomer it's one of these we um We've just heard from the boomers mm-hmm. all the time. True. As if there's nobody else's. Um, I mean, when when I'm turning 50 and I see that the boomers are saying 70 is the new 50, I'm like, Jesus, can't I even have 50? You know, when I was turning 40, <laughs> right. they, were, they were like, 60 is the new 40. No, 70 is the new 50. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be like, you know, dead is the new tw- 80, right? <laughs> they won't let, they won't let go. And let the generation, the generations below, assume leadership and power, um, even in maybe you know in a, in a in a small community, probably even. So when they say "Okay, Boomer," it's probably like I've had enough of hearing from you. However, <laughs> there's so much to be learned mm-hmm. intergenerationally yep. that 
when you sit down with your mom, mm-hmm. their grandma, and hear the stories of what it was like, you know, I love hearing about the stories my grandmother, what my mother went through. Mm-hmm. Then the younger females mm-hmm. and maybe and males can see that everything that they experience today hasn't always been that way. Yeah. And that there are women and men that you need to thank for your rights and abilities mm-hmm. today and that you need to work really hard to keep. Yeah, and we don't really honor the wisdom transfer between generations in our culture here. It's much more elevated oh, in other cultures. Oh, I and, know. And I'm sort of having to take ownership of my own dismissal of that and my own mm-hmm. impatience and and, and um, trying to kind of broaden my mind um, in both directions because I do get annoyed with the whippersnappers <laughs> and then I get annoyed with the old yeah. people. And now it's like, you know, I just, a little more softness and grace around both of those is a way that we transfer wisdom. That's and I think that's, say that. I think it's important. Yeah. Well, um, on that note, let's tr- these get thoughts some more are great. And I, exactly. <laughs> I want to continue this. So yeah. we definitely need more refreshment. We'll be right back. Michelle, I'm so excited. We have a new sponsor. I know, Emily. We're thrilled to bring them on board as partners here at Clearly Speaking the Podcast. It's a great group of people. It's worry-free marketing. Uh-huh. And, you know, I discovered them many years ago when I first moved to St. Louis. I was doing a lot of independent consulting work at that time. And this company was my go-to resource whenever I knew a company needed a new website or website work. They needed help in that digital world, yeah. driving good prospects to their website through yeah. AdWords, Facebook campaigns, whatnot. They just did a great job. And I love those guys. So they're a sponsor for us and they're like our social media Uber partners, fans. right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, this is like a really great resource for us. I mean, you have done an incredible job with your phone and your <laughs> iPad and your laptop, you know, putting things together. But it's nice when you can have a team behind you. That's right. I mean, because things happen more quickly when you have a team versus trying to do it all by yourself. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's its own specialty. Marketing is such a tough thing and to do a really good job at it. I mean, I'm a visual person, a creative person. So I've I've done the best that I can, but you know. And the nice thing when you get to a point in a business and you realize, hey, I I need to bring somebody on. If you Mm -hmm. reach out to a company like Worry Free Marketing, and then you bring them on board, you are not going to be disappointed at all with the resources, with the research, with the analysis that they give you, the with the strategy, you know. Yeah. Um, and we are so blessed to have them on board here at Clearly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Absolutely. very excited about this relationship. I know. Isn't it wonderful? It's great. So they can reach Worry Free at worryfreemarketing.com. And uh, you can always yeah, click we'll on make... the link from our website too. That's absolutely right. All right. So thank you, Worry Free. You've definitely helped us be worry free. And we're back. We're back. So, Michelle, before we started today, you know, you were like, we've got to talk about Downton Abbey. <laughs> and, you know, this is a, a yet an, another generation <laughs> and a generation uh, and, a, and a story of people who are entitled. So, And, and those that work for them and, That's right. uh, and the issues they go, they go through. So uh, 
in St. Louis, I know this is going to air in a few weeks, but, you know, we we had a, a pretty big snowstorm that came through and, you know, dumped a few inches of snow over a couple of days. And, and I love, I, you know, I mm-hmm. love snow days now because my children are older than mm-hmm. the days of, it's a snow day. And it became all about towels and snowsuits and snow boots and sleds and, you know, <laughs> hot chocolate and, and just shit everywhere. Finding daycare. And all those kind of <laughs> I mean, for yeah. you probably, yeah. yeah you working. know, I fortunately had a job. It's like, okay, it's a, it's a snow day. I'll, I'll work from home. But uh, then they would go out and have a great time in the neighborhood and then come back in. There was like wet, you know, wet snowsuits, all this stuff. You know, you're mopping your floor because you don't want the, you know, the yeah. wood floors to get get done so um but now you know now yeah. it's like oh it's a snow day it's a netflix day it's a netflix day <laughs> and it's and i don't have to go anywhere and i can't go anywhere because the snow's too high i'm not going to drive and it's a netflix and wine day mm-hmm. don't you love it mm-hmm. i want so, more snow <laughs> i also have amazon you know amazon prime as we all do mm-hmm. it helps um so downton abbey is on amazon the not, series or the movie? The movie. Okay. okay. Now I watched the series, and you know I cried with everybody else when it fin- when it finished. Um, but the Downton Abbey movie is mm-hmm. on Amazon, but you can't rent it, and it's not on Prime. You have to buy it. Oh. Okay. So I wrestled with that overnight. And how much is it? Like four? But it's probably not even that. It was like fourteen ninety nine. Oh, seriously? No, it was nineteen ninety nine. Oh my god, oh, that's a big investment. That's but more I than going it to the now. movie. Yeah. But oh, you I own, it. own it now. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's my, not a rental. That's price. how I justified it. Right. I can watch it whenever I want. And do you want? I do, because actually, and so then I, I, I watched it, and I was like, oh my gosh, it was great. And then, like, I've, you know, like the next day, you know, over the next 24-hour periods, I found myself getting sadder and sadder and sadder. Really? Because I wanted more. Okay. Right? It's like now all I do is I think about like, you know, that world that they're in and I, I have to wait for Julian Fellows to write another movie to come in the future. And it's like, I, I was like, why, why? I'm not going to, I should never have bought it because I was living in a nice, ignorant bubble and mm. now I watched it and now I have this craving for more. more. Better to have loved and lost. I maybe, agree. Than to have not loved at all. Um, <laughs> right, right. I mean, but it's it's interesting how even the storylines are so... Um, and I know Julian Fellows isn't listening to the podcast. Is they're so like kind of shallow, but yet they make you feel, for some reason, no, it's total masterpiece theater. I was watching up, yeah. upstairs, downstairs yes. when I was like eight years old, oh, and yes. it was it's like it's it's refined soap operas, and that's what makes it so great, right? You know, and yeah. you're like, oh yeah, look, Tommy's going to see the girl. He likes her. You know, I'm like, I was totally into it, and it was good. It was a snow day and stuff. But I, I'm warning you, if um, if you watch it you might find yourselves a little sad well i think we need to have a watch party huh you don't think oh i think they totally will do another one they've got a franchise now i felt a little bit that way i kind of i think i understand where you're feeling um because i was sad when sex in the city ended oh totally and then when i went to see the movie it was like there they are my friends are back Mm -hmm. i'm hanging out with my friends speaking of friends i'm kind of Surprised that Friends never did a movie or something like a reunion mm-hmm. show, right? Or, you no, know, really, because I think Sex in the City was kind of the the that was the first. It was like, yeah. oh, that's a good idea, and they were kind of the first in that whole serial thing. I mean, I remember oh, borrowing yeah. the DVDs from a friend. Oh, totally. <laughs> Could not 
stop. My husband and I would be like, one more. Okay, only one more. And it's like two o'clock in the morning on a, on a work night. And we're like, what are we doing? Yeah, I love those all, those those worlds. They just suck you in, you right. know. And I, I, I've, I've liked all of those. But I also, I get into some of that fantasy realm. Like, I loved Harry Potter. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I loved Game of Thrones and all of that. So that whole uh, serial quality so is just so So did you and grieve when they were done oh totally so you totally yeah. get what michelle is feeling you know. right now yeah oh yeah and I, I mean i know that i know that downton abbey will be will come again just like you know um you know mace mazel is going to come again and mm-hmm. you know when you get you know you get to binge something like that i mean i was sad when mad men ended you know mm-hmm. i was like oh it shouldn't it should be it should go on but um I did just watch the third season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm-hmm. yeah. which I love that show. Of course I love that show. And they've I been mean, renewed for a fourth. FYI. Thank God, because of how they left it. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, thought it was a little cruel. flat. The first, the first three episodes in this season, I was like, ooh, I am just not feeling the spice. I don't, mm-hmm. there's, it's just a little flat. And then the last two episodes for me um, got got brighter and, yeah. and, and more invigorating and interesting. And then the ending was... Not good. It's not, and and you know it's when you when you have a cliffhanger like that. Who shot Jr. I mean, yeah, you, know. you know, it's it's tough because it's more of like a shame based one this time. <laughs> really, I would say right. not to be a spoiler, but it's just more like oh, ick. I agree. I agree, and I I knew it was going to happen too. Yeah. Like watching that episode, like. I know this is going to happen. So I was, it was in pain the right. whole time. But I also was kind of glad to feel something because I'd been so, f- the, okay. my, I had such a flat mm. affect for those mm. first three episodes. I was like, mm, it's not visually as interesting. And then, you know, if nothing else, I wanted the eye candy of the terrific clothes and that sort of, I mean, you know, I got, she's I Kate Spade's that. niece, the actresses. And so I've always felt like there was a little bit of that a connection, fashion connection that. there. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Yes. Now that you know it, you'll see it in the costume. Oh, you a totally. Bit, the influence. Yeah, love yeah. it. Well, I was gonna say when you um, about like uh, television programs that go on and make movies, and um, we uh, again, I have no research from this. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Uh, we don't necessarily do like the whole Christmas program, like the Christmas program, like the Brits do, where they oh. will, you know, where a, a series will come back and do a special Christmas program, oh, and it can be ninety like they minutes. Call the midwives. Christmas yeah, program was so right. good. And or Vicar of Dibley or Midsummer Murders or whatever they are. You know, Great British baking show. They'll have the, um, they'll have the Christmas episode, right. which is usually an hour and a half. So we, if we had had like, they, you know, maybe that's when we go to the movies when they make the Sex and the City movie. But we're not we're not in that tradition. I don't of, think that's been around since the seventies when 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 everybody moved to the ratings period and, sh- mm. and shows were shot in seasons. But do you remember watching like there would be a Walton's? Christmas oh, special. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. And A Little House on the Prairie. Oh, yes, I always remember I those. I loved that one. I know. Yeah. You know, and Happy I, Days, there was a Christmas, there was a, Yeah, you know. so you're, I think that would be fun for like. That'd be a good research project. For one of those like. Things that will, <laughs> mindless information that you'll never use again. But now I know. But wouldn't it be fun if like Nick at Night, like they just ran nothing but, you know, yes. Christmas. Like here's the various Christmas episodes that Friends did or, you know, all of the sitcoms that we've watched. They've all had Christmas in 
an well, they'll, episode. Like, they'll do a Christmas episode, yeah. but it was usually, you know, in the in the, in the British, they'll, they'll be like, this is the Christmas episode, right. you know, and it yeah. was, and, it, and, their, and their show could have been over a year and a half, but they came back every year and did a Christmas episode. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I love that idea. Nice. So I think maybe we need to develop our own Christmas episode, Michelle. That's what I'm hearing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, course we're on a delay so we'll have to do our oh, christmas we'll, we'll work have to it figure out it these out. are problems to work out we'll put it on our new year's resolution for 20 <laughs> 2021 or 2020 christmas season have our own christmas special yeah yeah that's a great idea We'll have to add, like, variety shows, Sunny and Cher style. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of directions you could go with this. <laughs> That's right. Shoot it at New Line Theater. I mean, I really think yeah. it could go great. I love it. Yeah, I, I think we should uh, ask our Clitorati out there to chime in and let us know what kind of variety show they'd like from us, mm-hmm. and we'll put it together. <laughs> I, I, I'm happy to put you know get get to get some friends together and put a show on in a barn. You know, like Judy Garland <laughs> and Mickey Rooney. Yeah. My favorite. Get some improv friends. I can bring some music friends. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. Some of the old, you know, diehard radio stations still have the Christmas uh, shows that they do. Um X does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of fun. Okay. Like where they have a variety show kind of thing on the stage with goofy skits and all that, and they broadcast it. Yeah. I love it. On some Sunday um, morning. So you've been um, not on uh, television as a, uh, a reporter and anchor for several years now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you miss it? You know, sorry I, to even interrupt you. You sorry, can come back to you, Michelle. Sorry. We have one mind now. I know. Yeah, I love it. I can I can feel the mind meld, and it's super relaxing. Um, actually, uh, I know it's like college. I have incredibly fond memories. I will. I have this. It takes up this lovely space in my heart. And I don't. You know, I don't want to go back right. <laughs> to college or to. Um, to that life or that work in that iteration. I still do some stuff that kind of melds those things together. I went back to my alma mater. They um, brought in Megan Rapinoe, the soccer player. Oh, you said that. And so I got to do an interview with her in front of a live audience of 8,000 people. And then it was also simulcast. And that was rich. And I got, I love those, that kind of interview style and those kind of opportunities um, in some of my corporate training work. Occasionally I'll do some facilitation with People like Maria Shriver yeah. or in, mm-hmm. in, in corporate settings, I got to that feels do meaningful. a little something with Peyton Manning. I mean, that stuff is still fun. And that's, I feel like I'm putting on a little bit of that journalist mm-hmm. hat where I'm getting to um, ask meaningful questions to get um, mm-hmm. hopefully interesting and inspiring answers from people. But it also kind of blends together with the other work I do now. Do you feel in the current climate that we're in um, undergoing with, uh, the assault on media, um, the... Well, people know that my opinions about the person who has recently been impeached. Um, do you, do you feel like, impeached, like yeah. gosh, you know, I should help? I, you know, I, I, what can I do? I mean, you have, I mean, do you feel, do you feel like drawn at all to, to say things to? I tried. I, I really, um, I really still do love facts and, and appreciate yeah. information that's correct. <laughs> and so I will, you know, there was, and I, um, and so there's, there, I have a little, you know, and I try to hold enough of a space for understanding that not everybody else has to think like everybody else, but I would, I do think that if we're at least, forming opinions based on facts, I mm-hmm. think that's an important place mm-hmm. to be. And so I will do some, what I like to think of as a gentle, soft, you know, I'll put a Snopes 
link up on somebody's okay. Facebook page around mm-hmm. some, or I'll, you know, just say, yeah, oh, this meme is catchy, but not accurate. Uh, um, yeah. and, um, and so, uh, because I think it is important and, um, and I have some, and, and a few times, even in the last few months when somebody will say, well, you won't hear this from the mainstream media because they lie, blah, blah, blah. And I'll and just say like, you love me. And I remember I was a member of the mainstream mm-hmm. media for a long time. And so yeah. I don't fall that kind of stereotyping is is inaccurate and and pretty unhealthy. So I can't say it triggers me. Um, it sometimes makes me a little sad, and um, I don't feel like I need to avoid it. I feel like it's sort of a uh, it's a place where I can be a bit of a port in the storm mm-hmm. because you know I did a hard job and I worked in that industry for a long time, and I know. You, you put those inside. hours in. <laughs> you you know what it takes to yeah, yeah. to put put a show together, to find the stories, to you know to handle your resources, and the twenty four hour news cycle, and the pressure for ratings, and all those kinds of things have also driven the degree of the frenzy. And so I think we as at the self reflection that's needed in the industry as well is like, well, you know, did here you we find in your time in the industry? Because I'm going to assume that when you started, it wasn't twenty four hour news cycle. Did you find that the stress load just in like ramped up? Yeah, as- the vetting and then the um, and just the, the 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 care in which the information came out and the sourcing, I think, was um, vastly different from when I started in the business in 1991 until where we are today. And I mean, do you think that social media has played a role in that because of the constant access or or just I think so, but I do think that the positive about social media is it has driven a desire. It has is added another vehicle mm-hmm. for messaging to come across. There is, you know, and we focus a lot on the misinformation, but there's a lot of people who never would have read a New York Times article or watched a clip from the Washington Post that might click mm-hmm. on their social media or, because they're interested in it, that even it's because their favorite star is taking a stand on something. And so they hear that messaging, and it does allow um, for education to be happening to a mm-hmm. degree to you. I'm one of those, I guess it's sort of like a, a little bit of a middle way, and I think social media has driven some division, um, certainly as an influencer of... of I think we have to, you know, revisit as its role in influencing mm. um, <clears throat> elections. And I don't think it's all evil. I think there's a lot of oh, yeah. um, of good that comes from it, too. It's just it's a big container that contains some really stinky bad garbage and some really great stuff there together. And so it's it's a matter of sort of finding the balance of that. Do you have thoughts on what can be done to address this concern on the attack of media to in you know, that kind of what you were bringing up, Michelle, like, you know, people are not some, some people aren't trusting it. And, um, you know, and then there's also the, um, truth seekers that, you know, right. I mean, subscriptions to the Washington post and the, and the New York times are at very high levels. It's yeah. reversed mm-hmm. the, <clears throat> I mean, it still can't necessarily make a lot of money on subscriptions, but it's still, it, it, that trend is there. Um, so actually ratings for 60 yeah. minutes are higher than they've been. Okay. So I feel like good journalism is follow is, the good journalism is the, yeah. is the, is the best. Uh, and I, I encourage people to not sort of feed the machine of the talking heads screaming at each other. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. And I don't care what the source is, where, where you are in the political spectrum. If you're watching Fox news, if you're watching MSNBC and the, and the format of the same is the same with unvetted 
screaming of mm-hmm. not filtered information at each other in a way that raises everybody's blood pressure who's both on the show and watching it, I think we can be more um, diligent consumers. I don't think we avoid, right. but I think we get to be more diligent consumers and take in the information um, in a way that's mindful, thoughtful, intentional. Well, that makes perfect sense, especially tying back to what you said earlier on how your stress triggers when that when that is happening in your body you're losing 13 points on your IQ <laughs> true so you know if you're watching the news and you're getting stressed out right perhaps you're not able to process it as wisely as you would right. so more- so collectively the united states has dropped a tremendous amount of <laughs> IQ in the last 3 years i'm just saying like oh, you know sure. like mm-hmm. and we must we must have been geniuses right. when we started well my husband and i have to kind of call each other out cuz we'll get triggered by different things and the next thing you know we're having this diatribe of rant, we're ranting at yeah. the air, at the world, and and not even engaging in meaningful conversation with, you know, our closest partner in the world. Um, not even because we we have opposing opinions, but when you get in rant mode, all you yeah. want to do is talk. You're not interested in conversation, in listening, in perspectives, and so we kind of catch each other. It's sort of like, okay, got it. I hear your perspective, but now we're at 15 minutes of your monologue here. Let's. Yeah. Well, let's I would have to say the- that you know, being a trained journalist, um, you would you probably approach conversations with people differently than untrained, you know, journalists. You know, if somebody if they haven't gone through the the education, the rigor, the like how to dissect a story, how to how to how to know what's up, what's coming out of somebody's mouth is complete and total bullshit. Mm-hmm. And you know that factor mm-hmm. and like you you and I'm I'm projecting, but you sh- you probably have a, a a better ability to know when those words are manipulative mm-hmm. versus well, truth. what I hear I, and I think. If you worked in, you know, anybody who was in ad PR, it's all about messaging and answering and getting the messaging across whether whatever question is asked. Yeah. So I have a high radar for that. It's like they're not answering questions. They're not answering the question. <laughs> they're not answering the question. Um, and I think I think I, I have a lot of questions. And so when somebody is sort of talking at me, um, I'm, I'm like, eh, I wonder about this or I'm curious. What about those that might say? And so um what I've discovered more so than any time that I remember in my life is as soon as I ask that question, whether I'm talking to somebody who's on the far left or yeah. barely left of center or on the far right or barely right of center, um, as soon as I ask the question right now, there's a very, very um, hypersensitive trigger reaction to then want to label. Really? I didn't know you were. Uh, uh, but, uh, really? I wouldn't have expected you to be. Well, you're just A. So it's like, ah, dismiss. Don't have to engage. Don't have to discuss. It's the the battle lines are drawn more so than ever bad. You either agree with me or Mm. I don't. And if you don't agree with me, you're bad. And if you do agree with me, you're good. I feel like it's always been that way. I just I just think maybe I care about it more now. Like because I because I do have concerns about, you know, what's happening in a big way. And so, like, I'm I'm more like upset you know um i, I don't know i, I feel you like have it's a right to have polarizing. those feelings and it is usually healthier when we give those feelings a right to life and we process the feeling but we're not acting from the height of the activated state of the feeling um unless you're an actual risk of being physically injured when right. you're mad it's probably not your 
wisest communication state. Oh, right. <laughs> well, I have a t-shirt that says, I didn't text you, vodka texted exactly. you. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you, you, you shouldn't be mad. You can get mad as yeah. hell. Yeah. It is fine to get mad. It is. Yeah. Women need to learn how to actually feel anger and process anger and actually not, and not just suppress it or repress it. But it doesn't... Um, Acting from that is actually, I think, um, not particularly helpful, generally speaking. Oh, yeah. No, but I, I would agree with you that women, you know, you have to allow yourself to feel the emotions, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, you know, and if you feel anger at a situation, then you feel anger mm-hmm. at it. You know, mm-hmm. and and don't and don't don't press it down because it's gonna it's gonna manifest some way in your right. body. Let yourself feel it. Let it process out, and yeah. then say, "Now that is a catalyst. Now that I've processed it, I am clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I have all my IQ points back, and this is why this is not okay. <laughs> what are the and next? This steps? is the most effective way for me to address this, mm-hmm. right? And, and not do the thing that we go, ah, oh, we did that, we said it, and then we feel shame, and then we feel embarrassed, and then we rat- backtrack, and then we retract. Oh, I'm kind of sorry, but I'm Right. Like, or yeah, then oh. we blame and won't own whatever, you know, was there and it doesn't tend to, to um, lift us all up. I think. Well, I can tell you that one of the most difficult situations I had this past year was I had, I had stood up for myself and I had, I had, you know, shut somebody, it was a man and I, I had, I had expressed myself in a, I know this surprises everybody on the podcast in a very, you know, curt manner. And, um, and I, I didn't take, mm-hmm. I didn't take the, what he was dishing out. Mm-hmm. And it was all verbal. And then to still be in the same vicinity with this person and we couldn't like get away from each other because we were stuck in a vehicle. Um, I like for the next hour and a half struggled with that person inside me, my conditioning. I have to make this better. I have to make some kind of nice joke, appease me, break this tension, you know, oh, you know, to make him not feel bad. And I I fought that Mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, Michelle, you. Right, because fawning is actually another defense mechanism. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawning, which is uh-huh. people-pleasing, which is let me make this okay so I feel safe. I know. I've, I've okay. just upset you. And that now, makes a lot of sense. Like, I think about fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And, fawn. Then, but, and that's not necessarily standard, but that's mm-hmm. another—it's considered another uh, uh, f- reaction It's a tactic, to fear, right? A tactic to get safe. I mean, I think about, like— you know, I I know many people, including myself, that have been in relationships with narcissistic types. Mm-hmm. And that fawning is definitely something that is a response to, mm-hmm. you know, one of those situations. Because when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, you are unsafe. And, mm-hmm. and there's... Um, and the projection is always you are doing it wrong. And so let me take ownership of right. how wrong I am because then I'm safe because I can at least reconnect momentarily until... I failed to meet your ego's never-ending needs again in the next minute. <laughs> yeah, I had a interesting, like you were speaking, Michelle, about a, your experience in the last year. I know you're familiar with an experience of mine fairly recently. And oh my god, one of my favorite wine bars. Like this is this is a place that I it was when I moved to St. Louis. It was the first place I discovered. I've spent a lot of time in this place weekly visits like I have been there regularly as a customer for seven years brought other people there myself included I mean the budget that they have gotten out of my (laughs) entertainment (laughs) budget's fairly significant let's just say so I've been a good customer and I was triggered because of patterns of old behavior where like you know when I was in a relationship with a narcissistic person 
And, you know, I, if I were would ever speak up to them and say, wait a minute, how you're treating me isn't fair, they would just push back harder, which would shut me down, right? So that was the, this pattern that I'd adopted. Well, I've worked really hard to overcome that pattern, and I'm doing a really good job at it, you know? And I'm standing up for myself mm-hmm. when things aren't right, and I'm not getting myself in relationships that are harmful like that. Well, here I was, and it was a very simple matter. I was I was charged for a drink I didn't have, you know? It was just a very simple matter. They were busy, but so what? That's great. Glad you're busy. And I talked to the bartender and was like, hey, you know, you've got this charge here. Can you, you know, take care of this? I didn't really have this drink. And he went on this super attack mode. Like, and like started throwing stuff at me that was just like, whoa, wait a minute. Not, not Where physically is... throwing things. It was like, no, no. <laughs> Uh, It was a verbal attack. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it was really absurd. You know, most of the time when you're charged for something you don't pay for, they're like, oh, no problem. But he wanted to argue with me on it (laughs) and make me feel bad. Mm -hmm. And he totally, like— I was brought to tears and I was brought to tears because it was like this memory of Mm -hmm. this experience in times past. Right. That's the trauma. Totally. Sure, sure, sure. So then when I was like, okay, whatever, (laughs) I, I, I silent, I was like, I pulled him to the side and I was like, Hey, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. Like I'm, I come here all the time. We're friends. Like, why are you treating me this way? I don't get it. You know? And I just, I was I wasn't making a scene of it. I would I put him to the side and then that made him push even harder. He got irate with me. And so I was like, okay. So I just was like, I'm I'm leaving. And I I tapped the owner on the shoulder and I was like, "Hey, I just want you to know that interaction I had did not go very well and maybe we should talk about it next time." And he then came over to the table and shamed me for trying to have a conversation with the bartender when they were so busy. Like, I should know better. He put the blame. So it was like a clear, it was a clear symptom of like, okay, well, you know, they've hired like-minded people, the bar, the owner. And and it was such a, a such a, uh, I was there at the beginning of it. Right. You know, I, I got the call from Emily after she's like, I, she was in tears. She was so upset about it. And I, I just wonder, um, you know, we uh, uh, what what could we do? What can you do? Yeah. So if you're in a situation like that again, to not break into tears because right then, right. you know, that's. I've lost my power, right? right? When, when women start crying, you know, that's, they're like, well, there she goes. I know. I mean, they ultimately accomplished narcissistic people. That's what they were going for because they wanted to shut. They want to shut you down. And and uh, you know we haven't been back. Emily has been back. And it's like you know mm-hmm. just take your money and go. Right. Well, and it's all, it sounds like it was also a situation where people are under stress, and that's uh, you know we like, are we yeah. we react okay, often inappropriately when we're under stress. So we right. make somebody asking us about a mistake on the bill a personal attack that by the way is going to cause me to not be able to do what I'm supposed to be doing because everybody's dis- okay. disappointed in me. So my guess is that that was the that that it was it was more reactionary, more primal than that. Not totally, not dismissing okay. it, and um, 
the way that you even said when you handed him the the yeah. uh, uh, that that is a very common form. It's I'm the queen of it, which is hedging, right? I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt right. you. Yeah, a, and that makes me <laughs> twice as mad. Seriously, when I go in with a hedge because I'm sp- I'm saying don't get mad at me because I'm oh, doing yeah, this, yeah. and then when they overreact, I feel twice. You as feel assaulted. attacked. So right? I'm like, yeah, you know, my husband's a polite guy. But he would have just said in a situation like that, I would have been like, hey, sorry to bother you. I know you're really busy. Do you mind? Right. I don't know what happened. A lot of explaining, a lot of hedging. Right. He goes, hey, we, we didn't get that drink. Go ahead and take that off for us if you would. Yeah. <laughs> you're much right. That better, is so fact. much better. And okay. it's so much better. And then when the overreaction comes, you're like, dude, dude take it off the bill. <laughs> I can tell you're busy. We can talk about this later. Take it off the bill. That's yeah. That is a better. Bet that's a better approach. You're right. And now, does that mean that you go, don't go later and say, okay, when these guys get stressed and they can't be basically human <laughs> about situations that they've created themselves, <laughs> their IQ points dropped more than that thirteen was not points. Fun. That <laughs> raised my blood pressure, and I'm going to find some place that I can chill out more. So I, I, I spend very little time beating myself up about those situations. Yeah. But I do say, could I have suffered less? Yeah, I maybe could have suffered less if if that's I a good had point. just. Gone back to like what are the facts? There, the the math is wrong on here. The information, the data on the receipt is incorrect. Understanding that human condition is 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 key though. Like knowing that's like okay, yeah, they're stressed out. They're gonna act a little more buffoonish. Mm-hmm. So take that into account mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, enter into engagement knowing that mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and then even if it comes up again and say, hey, but remember we were so busy. It was like. Good for you, but customer service doesn't need to go out the window when you're busy. There was a better option here, and it didn't get played out. Yeah. And you lost a customer. Mm-hmm. You know, you did. I mean, and like you said, they had a lot of a lot of your, your entertainment budget for the last seven years. Um, and it'll be interesting if, to see if they notice that you're not there. Right. If they, you know, reach mm-hmm. out and say, we haven't seen you in a, a, yeah. a month, <laughs> two <laughs> months. You haven't been here in a year. Right. Are you? Well, I mean, it'll be interesting to notice whether you miss it or whether that was a, that was a completion of the relationship for you. It's interesting. So I have been thinking about it. I honestly think that part of the tears for me was, yeah, the first the first go around with with the bartender was triggered because it felt like a familiar pattern. Mm-hmm. Then when the owner started going in on me, I was like, the thing that was going through my mind wasn't, oh, I can't, I'm getting beat up again. It was, I'm never coming back. And it's the loss of community of that place. Like I have friends there and that's that's where we meet, you know, and we don't see each other outside of that place. So for me, I was like, I went from like being shocked and dismayed to now mourning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But now I'm past it. I'm over yeah, it. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, and you know, sometimes, you know? Um, you know, not to take this in a completely different uh, path, but when you said you have, you know, you're mourning the loss of friends, the, the people that you saw only there, um, you know, that's like a, that's kind of like a friendship of convenience. I, you know, I used to follow this band and I had friends that girls I saw every Thursday night, we would go, we'd watch this band play. And then, um, but we, we didn't just stay on Thursday nights, you know, it was like, let's get together. And, and we are thankful for that band that brought us all together, but we, we moved beyond it. Um, so I would say that those friendships, I'd give them time to see if 
And you can, you can reach out to them too. Say, hey, you would like to get together. I miss talking to you. We can have lunch and see if those friendships are actually like, are they, are they yeah. a quality thing that could evolve beyond the love of right. and I that? Liked, I like the word you used earlier when you said consoling. And I think, I yeah. think it's an underrated thing to say, I could just use some consoling. I'm missing yeah. my Downton <laughs> yeah. Abbey. I'm yeah. missing yeah. my, my, you my know, favorite community. place to go, to go drink wine. And, and, and the community that's there. And when you allow yourself to sort of be consoled and grieve and move through it, then it's like, you know, you may decide never to go back again. You may decide to go back again and never talk to the owners or just make somebody else pay if you go. Um, and all of those options are fine. Yeah. Any choice that you make um, in that feels right for lined you. up from your, you know, yeah. your head to your heart, I think is uh, is is perfectly right. What we do know factually is that they mishandled a mistake they made in a way that created suffering. And as you reimagine it in a situation where somebody else might mishandle a mistake they made, it might not cause you as much suffering because you can let it be theirs. Right. You might not take on so much of it. Yeah, that's good. Maybe. I like it. Wow. I've yeah. got, I've had some counseling today, ladies. Thank you. Yeah, it's good when we bring I feel Jill so Farmer much better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was this I've, was good. I've got my Lucy five cents uh, for <laughs> advice sign out. Wow, yeah. As long as you're not pulling the football away. I never would do that. <laughs> I always get so upset when I watch that on Peanuts. I, know. I was like, that's so mean. Why do they do that? I always felt for Charlie Brown. I know. And maybe I know. that's why it was designed. That you know, was it was designed boring, for right? you know to to make you feel that way. Um, Definitely. But- well, this this really has been a delight. I, we came in and it was the infirmary, and I'm feeling like I'm walking out. I can walk walk out on a cloud now. So fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. yeah. This was fabulous. Thank it you. It was so fun. I'm so yeah. grateful. You know, as you guys know, I was fangirling about reading about you, and then and then listening. And it was it was kismet that we were in the same space at the same time. And I'll come back. Any old time to talk oh, about any old thing you want to talk about. Oh, this Fantastic. was a blast. We definitely, you know, we like we've said on the show before, and it's true. We don't drink with our friends just one time. <laughs> we like to drink with them many times. Absolutely, so, yeah. And, and congratulations on the evolution that that you've you've gone through. I'm I'm so excited about the research that you've done and where you've taken your career. It's just it's really amazing what you're doing. And the next time you want to go to Sweden, give me a call. Okay. All right. I'm um, in. Me All too, right. ladies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Thanks, you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.